0: Now, when we speak of apostasy, it's important that we define terms. Apostasy is not just an atheist or an agnostic or someone who has embraced one of the isms of the world. The New Testament has a much narrower definition and concept. It applies specifically to those people who've heard the truth of Christianity. They've been exposed to the gospel of our salvation. They walked up to the edge of that gospel they at least intellectually appeared to embrace that gospel, but with the heart man believes under righteousness, and so they ended up falling away from that gospel and rejecting the truth. And I've never seen, like I've seen in the last few years, what we're seeing today in America and across the world.
1: Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Broge, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Pastor Carl has been addressing biblical prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled in his series titled, God's Prophetic Schedule. Last week, we studied the signs of Christ's return in Matthew chapter 24. And today by God's grace, Pastor Carl will exposit the first four verses in the book of Jude as we study Jude and his distress over apostasy. Today's sermon is entitled Staying the Course. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he begins.
0: I want to invite you on this, the 40th anniversary of our church, to turn to the book of Jude. If you're new to the Bible, just find the last book, Revelation, and right before that is the book of Jude. It's just one page in many of our Bibles, so it would be very easy to miss. If you're joining us for the first time, We are in between a verse-by-verse exposition of a book of the Bible, and right now I'm doing a series that I've entitled, God's Prophetic Schedule. As you can see there on the outline, I want to speak today on staying the course. And I can't think of a greater book in all the New Testament that addresses this subject. We are warned in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1, the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith. And so last week we began the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, and we looked at Jesus' words concerning false Christs and false prophets, and that many will fall away. And so throughout the Olivet Discourse, we will at times step away and zoom in on one particular theme that Jesus spoke to, and that's what we're going to do today. Now, the book of Acts, we often call it the Acts of the Apostles. The book of Jude could easily be titled the Acts of the Apostates. Acts describes the teachings of godly men who sought to build the church, whereas the book of Jude deals with ungodly men who want to destroy the church. Acts highlights the work of God, especially at the beginning of the church age. Jude highlights especially the work of the evil one and all who follow him at the end of the age. And there's growing antagonism in apostasy. Now, when we speak of apostasy, it's important that we define terms. Apostasy is not just an atheist or an agnostic or someone who has embraced one of the isms of the world. The New Testament has a much narrower definition and concept. It applies specifically to those people who've heard the truth of Christianity. They've been exposed to the gospel of our salvation. They walked up to the edge of that gospel. They, at least intellectually, appeared to embrace that gospel. But with the heart, man believes unto righteousness, and so they ended up falling away from that gospel and rejecting the truth. And I've never seen, like I've seen in the last few years, what we're seeing today in America and across the world. I've been in the ministry now for 45 years, in the last four or five years, I'm not talking about liberal Protestantism or apostate Catholicism, I'm talking about Bible-believing evangelical churches where pastors, associate pastors, evangelists, missionaries have renounced the faith. I've seen more people in the last five years do that than I had in the prior 40 years before that. And we should not be totally surprised by this because the Bible warns that this will happen at the end of the age. We studied last time in Matthew 24 and in verse 10, Jesus said, and at that time many will fall away and will deliver up one another and hate one another. So this coming apostasy, it's the Greek word apostasy, it means to fall away. It's going to be exasperated at the end of the age and seeds are being planted today for the apostasy of all apostasies that we're still going to study God willing in this series that will happen during the time of the great tribulation. But it doesn't just happen. The Ground is being plowed and fertilized and planted with bad seed to make it happen in the future. And so we live in a day where people have adopted church growth strategies. We've gone to 20 minute preaching in evangelical churches And most of it is not expository in nature where you actually need a Bible to follow the sermon. That used to be typical in evangelical churches. Now it's exceptional. And it has put us in a pickle. And now things are gray and people don't know what's right, what's wrong. There's really no gray in Scripture. There's contrast all the way through Scripture beginning in the first book of the Bible. There's the tree of life, and then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's the amount of Blessing, there's the amount of Cursing. There's eternal life, there's eternal death. There's the wisdom of God, there's the wisdom of man. There's the kingdom of the Lord, there's the kingdom of the evil one. And when you choose the methods and the methodologies of the world to grow the church, you set that church up for disaster. Look, when I first came as the pastor, there used to be a, a man who wrote in the local Gazette. I don't know that the newspaper even exists anymore. Maybe it does online. But um, in either case, uh, he would have a religious section on Fridays, and he would talk about churches. When I read some of those articles, I was just amazed that some of these once great churches now had totally turned from the faith. So lest we be arrogant, And think that that could not happen to the people of Community Bible Church, we need to heed what the book of Jude says. So how can an individual be assured in the days that we live in? How do we as members, and some of you are teenagers, and if Jesus doesn't come and I die before Jesus comes, some of you are going to be the leaders in the church. If not this church, another church. And you need to listen. This is very, very important. Now, 30 years ago, I preached 14 messages in the book of Jude. (laughs) You won't find them online because the tape quality was so poor. We just discarded them. Well, today, God willing, I'm going to preach the whole book of Jude. So I'm going to do it in one sermon, but I'll obviously be limited in terms of all the detail I can go to. With that said, uh, if you're using the note-taking outline, I want us to think about Jude's distress about apostasy. Jude is distressed over apostasy, and he unfolds that distress in the first four verses. Notice how he introduces this letter in verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Now, if you look in the margin of the New American Standard, you'll see a little footnote for Jude and you go out into the margin and it says literally Judas. This is technically the epistle of Judas, but kind of like Rob can be Bob, Judas can be Jude. And so most English Bibles render this the book of Jude. But when you go to other countries, I've been in other places, and I say, well, let's turn to the book of Jude and the translator will look at me, hmm, the book of Judas. And so for obvious reasons to distinguish this man from Judas Iscariot, most went with the alternate rendering, and we call it the book of Jude. He describes himself as a bondservant of Jesus. Now, there are seven Judes in the New Testament. This particular Jude is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, who became a believer after the resurrection, and God used him to write a book of the New Testament. He doesn't say, Jude, Jesus' brother— but Jude, a bondservant of Jesus, because all the family relationships at this point had been set aside. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James. He's the one who wrote the book of James. We studied that some months back. To those who are called beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. You say, why is this opening verse so important and so remarkable? Because all the way through this epistle, he's going to speak about those who will turn away from the faith and how it is going to be exasperated, as we'll see in this series, as we move to the very last of the last days. And so it might be that someone would ask, well, could I fall away from the faith? Not if you are genuinely saved. And so he puts bookends on this discussion on apostasy, verse 1 in verses 24 and 25, describe our great security. Notice he's referring to born-again people, to those who are the called, beloved in God. Now understand, your salvation did not begin with you because the Bible says by nature, there is none who seeks God, not even one. It always starts with God and the term called in the Bible is used in two ways. There's a general call and there's a specific call. For instance, of the general call, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or in John 7:37, he said, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. This is that general external call of God that God puts on all people because God wishes none should perish but all to come to repentance. And that general call can be ignored, it can be disdained, it can be resisted, or it can be responded to. And when you respond, that external general call becomes an internal call that leads to an unbroken chain, as Roman 8 teaches, bringing you all the way to glory. So Paul will say in Romans 1, 7, for instance, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. You know, if you are saved today, you're a saint. You can call me Saint Carl. I'll take the title because God gives it to me. Every true born-again Christian is a saint. It's not some group that's reserved by, you know, someone after they die that, you know, some guy who has a, a halo behind his head. No, these are the believers in the New Testament. Might be a brand-new believer. Might be an inconsistent believer. Might be a long-held believer. Might be a strong believer. All Christians are called saints. To the Corinthians, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, To those who've been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. Now, you may not understand all that, but just understand that God has declared you holy if you've put your faith in Jesus. It's a position you have, and so you are a saint. And notice how else he describes you, beloved in God the Father. You are beloved in God the Father. So these called are described with this verb, beloved. It's a perfect tense if you remember high school English, and sadly most of us don't. It describes an an action in the past with unchanging results on into the future. So once you're beloved, you're beloved forever. He that believes has everlasting life, and everlasting life cannot end. And so this verse says we are kept for Christ Jesus because God is the one who does the calling, God is the one who does the loving, and so God is the one who does the keeping. Look, I would do anything I would need to do to protect and preserve my children, and I'm just human. When you are born again, you become something you were not before, a child of God. To those who've received him, to them he's given the right to be called children of God. And God will keep you. He will protect you. And so Jude can say, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Now with that brief introduction, now in verse 3, Jude speaks of the compulsion in writing this epistle. What's his compulsion? What's his motivation for writing this letter? Notice. Beloved. Now this is not a verb, this is a noun. So we're beloved of God, but now because we're beloved of God as saints, we are a member of the beloved. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. So he's going to write about the common salvation that all true Christians share. This word common is koinos. We get our word koinonia from it. Most of you know that koinonia is fellowship. And so there's a common uh, salvation that we share. Everyone needs the same salvation. Whether you're a big sinner or a small sinner, in God's eyes, we have all sinned and fallen short, and we're equally in need. While I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity. You should circle that word necessity. It's important. To write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith. Circle the article, the word the the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. In other words, Stuart would say, now was gonna write about our great salvation by grace through faith, about the power of the blood, about the second birth, about new life, about the promises of being delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. But instead, the Spirit of God, by necessity, wanted me to write a different letter. That word necessity means to put pressure on, to compress, to compel. The Spirit of God put pressure on Jude to change the direction in which he was going. And God often does things like that. It's easier to direct a moving object than one that's stationary. And sometimes we're headed down a road thinking this is the will of God and God is able to redirect us because our desire is to please him. So, notice secondly, this distress, these false teachers, is so real. He wants to write this letter to alert us, the calls to action. And so, secondly, we speak about the need to contend for the faith, the need to contend for the faith. He says, Contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Now, please note that we're to contend for the faith. Again, you've circled the article. He's not speaking here about inactive faith, about believing God for some particular need in your life. But when you see the word faith with the article, it's referring to this body of truth we call the Bible. I am holding in my hands this morning the faith. That's what we have before. So Paul could say in Galatians one twenty three, he who once uh, persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy as he gives his testimony. And this faith, we're told, was delivered or handed down to the saints. And this verb, handed down, refers to something that's completed, never to be done again. It has been delivered once for all. Now, the word once is the word hapax. Many times you've heard preachers and theologians speak of a hapax legomena, a word that appears only once in the Bible. Well, this word "hapax" refers once, never, ever, ever to be repeated again. The living Bible trying to capture the essence of the word says, once for all time. You've heard me say many times as your pastor, if it's new, it's not true. There are no new doctrines, no new books of the Bible, no new morals, no new encyclical letters, no new papal ex-cathedra dogmas, we have a faith that was delivered once and for all, it's a finished, relation, a finished revelation and we are warned at the end of the Bible not to add to it and not to subtract to it. The faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. The reformer said it with these two Latin words written on the front of this pulpit. Sola Scriptura." that is scripture alone is our final authority. And we are to earnestly contend, ep agonismi. You can hear the word agony. We are to agonize for the faith. Paul uses this word when he says, fight the good fight. It's the same word, agonize for the faith. We are to earnestly contend for the faith. John Calvin used to say, if a dog barks when his master is attacked and the man does nothing, then he's a coward. And if someone attacks our master, God's holy and inspired word, and we do nothing, then we are cowards. We are to contend for the faith. Notice now the warning about certain persons. The warning about certain persons. For certain persons, anthropoi, you could render it, certain people have crept in unnoticed. Now those words have crept in unnoticed. Is one word in the original. It takes that many words in English to render it. And this word is found only once, the Hapox Legomena, only once in the New Testament. Sometimes, if you're doing a word study, you look at that Greek word and say, well, let's see where it's used in other pla- passages in the New Testament. And it can shed some light on it. Or sometimes you can go to a translation of the Hebrew scriptures. It's called the Septuagint, the Old Testament in Greek. Well, the word is never found in the Septuagint. So you have to go to first century Koine Greek to see some of its usages. It was used of someone who worked in a uh, law court as a clever lawyer, and he would just drop in a word, unsuspectingly, and then he would come back later in his argument to key off of that word. He would drop in that word, and there are people who creep in It was used also in Koine Greek Greek of someone who was removed from a country, but then he would creep in back over the border. And so what he is saying here is there will be people who will come into the church. They'll creep in very stealthily. They won't say, I'm a false teacher. I'm an apostate. They'll come in the garb of Christianity, and they will in the process very often destroy a church. Jesus said this in Matthew sixteen six. watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And as you know, the word leaven can be used uh, symbolically in the Bible of sin, or it can be used symbolically of teaching. And Jesus is just saying, beware, watch out for the false teaching of the Pharisees. And that's what an apostate does. He brings in false teaching. Notice, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So he's describing their character first as ungodly. That doesn't mean they don't speak about God. In fact, they most often speak about God. And very often, again, we'll use the language of historic Christianity. They just have a different dictionary in which to define those terms. The word ungodly is a word that means without reverential awe. And so the basic missing ingredient in an apostate is he has no genuine biblical fear of God. You should write out in the margin no reverence. He has no reverence. Of their conduct, he says, they turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. Licentiousness refers to unbridled lust. And so the Pope has become squishy on homosexuality. Joel Osteen, when interviewed by Oprah Winfrey, denied homosexuality as a sin. And now evangelical Christians across the world, they're, hmm, well, you know. Why, because this is such a widespread sin. And people think I have a brother, I have a sister, I have a cousin, I have a parent that have gone this way. And Certainly don't want to hate them, and so Nancy Pelosi has come out saying that evangelical Christians like me are hateful. And Joseph Biden, our president, and his June 15th, 2022, executive order, says that, referring to these who believe the Bible, that we're harmful and destructive. Actually, it's Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden and our vice president who just has had three different meetings using her preferred pronouns. They're the hateful ones. Look, it is loving to tell people the truth. It ultimately comes down to either this book is the word of God or it is not. And if it is the word of God, it is clear what God thinks about it. But you preach against sin, and you're considered today hateful, judgmental, legalistic, bigoted, homophobic, all kinds of titles. But they turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. So in addition to their character and their conduct, he underscores now their creed. Right out in the margin, they have no rule. So they have uh, no reverence, they have no restraint, they turn grace into sin, and they have no rule. They deny our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. They've either denied his deity or they have rebelled against his lordship. And so what have they done? They, they've humanized God. They've molded him in their own image in the way they want him to be. And sadly, sometimes under the guise of scholarship or church growth, this is happening across America. Now listen, if you're truly saved, which we're going to say, you would never do this. 1 John 2, 19, if they were of us, they would have remained with us. But the fact that they went out from us shows they were not really of us to begin with. If you have it, salvation, you can't lose it. And if you lost it, you never really had it to begin with. And so Jude would just say, don't look simply at their creed, But also look at their conduct and look at their character. And again, he reminds us they come into the church unsuspectingly. And so it appears they have a right creed. But at some point there's a turn that takes place in their life. They have revelation, they have light. They just don't have new life. They they believe here, like the parable of the sower, they receive the word with joy. They believe for a while, they've come up to the edge of salvation, but they haven't stepped into the kingdom. And so when hardship comes, they end up turning away from the faith, Luke 8 13 teaches. And so what do they do? Well, um Second Timothy three and verse five says they hold to a form of godliness, form only. There's form, but there's no reality although they've denied its power. Or listen to these words in 2 Timothy 4, 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. There'll be a denial of sound doctrine. So if you want to embrace a particular kind of sin in your lifestyle, or you don't want some preacher preaching against some kind of sin, what do you, you find a preacher who agrees with you. <laughs> he'll tickle your ears, he'll tell you what you want to hear instead of preaching the truth of scripture. Look, I would, I would much rather be divided over truth than united over error. I'm gonna preach the truth and if it divides, it should divide, it divides truth from mistakes, from sin divides true believers from false believers. And again, this is a mark of the end of the age, 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith. So he's not speaking simply of the last days. He's speaking about latter times, a term used in the New Testament, for the end of the age, the last of the last days. In latter times, some will fall away from the faith. They will pay attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. When the president of the United States said a girl could become a boy, and a boy could become a girl, that's a doctrine of a demon. You say you're getting political, preacher. No, I'm preaching God's word. And God has called me to address moral issues when they enter into the political realm. It's not an issue of Democrat or Republican. It's an issue of what is right and what is true. Listen to what Second Peter 2 says. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Why? Because the atonement is unlimited. Jesus died for all men, bringing swift destruction upon themselves." There'll be a denial also of the fact that he will literally return from heaven. Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking saying, where is the promise of his coming? And as we will see when we come down to verse 18, this epistle will also say there's a denial of moral values.
1: Join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Carl's sermon, Staying the Course. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures, at 877-787-7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 011. Don't forget that tomorrow we will be live in the studio with Pastor Carl. And if you have a question that you would like to ask him personally, you can do that between 11 and noon Eastern during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. You can also listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.